So let's go back again. Jesus has died. And three days have come and gone. On this third day, all the rituals have been done. Time is now available for the women to rise early in the morning and and to go embalm the Savior. No one really expected much. Or they all would have been at the tomb, right? But see, that morning, Mary Magdalene was there, and she shows up at just the perfect time for God to show up and show off to the world. You know, I think what's amazing about Easter is this. Easter is always a great reminder to us to take that deep breath of God in once again. To remind ourselves that of the song that we sang as kids, that we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I, there's something special about this season, isn't it? It isn't just a season where your pastor wears a little bit of pink or these fantastic blue pants. It's a moment where we stop again and we remember what Jesus really is for us. And to capture that, we've got to remember who we really are. In 2014, John Rizzo wrote a book called Company Man. It was insights of 30 years of working for and around the CIA. In his book, he talks about that in the early 90s, a man walked into the USA embassy and he wanted to set his life right for all the bad that he had done in his past. He, he said that the information that he had was on one of the worst men alive at the time and he was ready to talk. The author Rizzo, the CIA guy, said that the man that walked in looked like Al Pacino straight out of The Godfather. He had that look. They didn't know if they could trust him at first, but they did what any good CIA people would do, and they investigated. During this time, leading up to the 90s, there was a man who, in the 70s and 80s, was one of the worst men on the planet. His last name was Sanchez. Uh, Sanchez. We know him as Carlos the Jackal. Those of y'all don't know or remember Carlos the Jackal, he was like the Osama bin Laden of the 70s and 80s. He was popular for this group called the Popular Front of the Liberation of Palestine, and he was a part of setting off bombs and assassinating people and was thought to be responsible for the deaths of more than 80 people, including those of the 1972 Munich Olympic Games, for those of y'all that remember that tragedy. Carlos the Jackal was one of the worst of the worst, top 10 of the CIA's most wanted. And finally, on 1994, they captured him in Sudan by the French intelligence. But how did they find Carlos the Jackal? How did they know it was him? Because of this Al Pacino-looking man. In 1995, President Clinton started with some new leadership, one of those being a new CIA director named John Deutsch. And he he came in for one reason. It was to clean up the CIA including what they call an asset scrub. Assets were people that would give information. They wanted to make sure there was nobody on the books that they were paying that was an active terrorist. The only problem with that was Al Pacino. You see, 
the CIA leaked some information to the New York Times. And as is in our kind of society, um, the editors typically talk to CIA, FBI, local police departments before they release any information. There's a guy working for the New York Times that had a policy. He would never write a story without at least three people that would give the right and same intelligence. And his three had arrived to talk about Al Pacino. And so he calls the CIA and says, tomorrow we're going to run a story about how y'all have a dirty man on the books who led us to Carlos the Jackal, that he walked into the embassy in 1990 and shared all this information. We're going to release that story in the morning. They begged the New York Times not to run it, but they did. They said, it's, it's too good of a story. I mean, we would read it. And so the CIA agent uh, contacted his people across seas, and they found this informant, this Al Pacino guy. And he said, tomorrow morning, they're going to run a newspaper story in the New York Times about you. The man was devastated. Here he was trying to set his life right, and he was going to be called out by the New York Times. The CIA man across the table said, listen, sir, come to the U.S. with us. We'll change your name. We'll change your identity. We'll rescue you. We'll, we'll give you safe haven. And the man said, you don't understand. My parents are still alive. My grandparents have a wife and children. What happens to them? With that, the man stood up from the table and he just looked across and he said, you've given me a death sentence. And he walked out the door. So in 1995, the New York Times ran the story, CIA pays dirty people for intelligence. They ran this story of this man from 1990 that walked into you know, the U.S. Embassy. And two days later, as they were walking through the city, the CIA found his body. A man that yearned for redemption, but couldn't find it. That early Easter morning, as the women walked towards the tomb, we get a little bit of insight of a lostness, a loss of hope, a loss of courage. And so let's read it together. John chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in and saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped uh, to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been laying, one at the head and the other at the feet. 
And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken my Lord, she told them. And I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll, I will take him away. And he said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. Easter does something to us. Easter does something to each person, regardless if they know it or not. Today, there are people um, like my neighbors. I walked to church this morning and I saw them leave. And uh, I've been talking to them, loving on them, but I watched them drive to the golf course this morning. And as I walked and I had my headphones in listening to worship, they gave me that wave of, oh no, he caught us. And you know what I did? I stood on the other side of the road and I went, how dare you? No, I didn't. I didn't do that at all. I didn't. I waved Bible and iPad underneath one arm. Hey, you know what I think? I think Easter is going to do the same things we're about to say as it's going to do to us in this room. Number one, Jesus, it calls us. Easter calls us to search for Jesus ourselves. You know, that morning as the disciples ran towards the tomb, they had to see it for themselves. Is he really gone? Is he really not here? I, I, I just, I think that Easter is like that for us. It calls on us to find out, is Jesus really who he says he is? It, it calls us to search. It calls us to yearn. It calls us to look and go, is this really real? And maybe today that's where you're wrestling. Like you, you came to Easter service because your mom made you or your grandparents made you or it's just what you do on Easter. You go to church. I mean, I get it. I grew up a preacher's kid, which meant this. I never left the church. We just got dressed and showed up in a different room. Um, man, I get it. But at some point, everybody's life, they're going to have to find out, is Jesus real to them? Because it can't be our father's faith, and it can't be our grandparents' faith. It can't even be our church's faith. At some point in our walk with God, we're going to have to find out, is Jesus really real? Now, here's the thing. And I want you to hear this from a pastor's kid that struggled with this. Jesus is real whether I believe it or not. He is really real. Which is inconvenient, right? Because if he is really real, then something's got to give. Either he is really real and we don't believe in him and don't trust him, and if he is really real, we know what the end of our lives are going to look like. Or it's super amazing that he loves us so much that he died for us and that he can save us. And it's rich. You know, when I was a kid, I, I was with my dad a lot 
as we prepared Lord's suppers. Um, grew up all my life in small churches. I love them. I remember one uh, particular Sunday we we got to the church and we thought we had Lord's supper stuff, but it had all gone bad. Which is okay because normally uh, you can find something to kind of help with Lord's supper. So we went to the gas station that was just up the road, and they, they had grape juice. Win number one. The only thing they don't have at gas stations is unleavened bread. That's what you had today, by the way. Um, but they did have is goldfish. I loved that Lord's Supper. I remember driving back to the church with my dad. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And we started talking through, what do you say if somebody complains? And I said, he's risen. We can have goldfish. He is flavorful to our life. He can be seasoned. Right? So we had goldfish for that Lord's Supper. And I, I just wish that, I, you know, back in the day we didn't have cell phones to record stuff. You had to like pull up the recorder like this, right? Put in the videotape. Make sure the camera was pointed and the, you know, receiver was pointed the right way and you'd have to hold it. You got the muscle cramps. Y'all remember these? Um, we could have done that, but nobody was going to do that. But as they passed the plate of the bread, people were going, um, ooh. Is this okay? You know, when people hold Lord's Supper bread, it's, it's like you hold it in your hand and you're reflective. No one can do that with goldfish. You have to hold them like this. And so there's, you know, all these people in the room going. And my dad up front going, oh, I know. This is crossbody broken for you. Eat your remembrance of him. Just eat it quick. Eat it quick. Eat it quick. <laughs> Still one of my favorites. You know, when something's genuine, you know it. You just know it. You can feel it in your soul. It's real. Kind of wonder if all of our lives we've showed up at Easter Sundays hoping for something real and genuine and missed it because we didn't look for Jesus. We've looked at it in worship, which is incredible, by the way, today, Grant and team. Unreal. But we, we search for it in faces of people in church, and we all have the same face on Easter Sunday. Our stuff didn't iron right enough. I got a random pin mark on my pants. I don't even, I, I didn't write anything in pin today. That's on y'all. I don't know which one of y'all pinned me in the leg, but. But listen, we, we search and we search, but when we don't look for Jesus, we're not doing what Easter calls us to do. It calls us to search for Jesus. Easter also causes us to search for understanding in God's word. It says it right here in the passage. Not only were they searching for Jesus, but look at verses 8 and 9. The other disciple who reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed, verse 9. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Easter caused them to search scripture. They didn't get it. They, they had looked, but they had never read it. And it's what Easter calls us to do. It causes us to not only search for Jesus, but... It, it causes us to search his word. Do we really believe he is who he says he is? And can we trust that his word really is truth? That's what Easter calls us to do. It's calling you today to search, to listen, to research. 
You don't have to take my word for it. I'm a broken West Texas guy. I mean, I grew up in the oil fields. I I grew up around cotton all my life. I mean, I, I grew up that prototypical West Texas kid. And I have never left that. I, I really do love the smell of Hereford. Um, it's home. And maybe y'all don't get this because maybe y'all haven't grown up around oil fields. But when April and I drive back home to see family and we get in the middle of the oil fields, that smell reminds us of home. It reminds other people to run away. <laughs> but Easter calls you home. Back to the word back to Jesus, back to truth. It's calling you today. Easter calls us to listen to the voice of Jesus. Mary's there and she's left alone at the tomb. And the best that she can do is offer tears. She doesn't know what else to do. She looks in and what used to be nothing but linen cloths is now two angels sitting there going, why do you keep looking in here? He isn't here. He's not here. Didn't you capture that? Yeah, he's not here. But even that, she doesn't really change that, does she? It takes a voice. It takes a voice to not only just talk. Because he talks to her, he says, why are you crying? And her response is, hey, listen, if you're the gardener, um, just tell us where you moved him. We'll take it from here. We'll, We'll take care of burying him the right way, okay? No harm, no foul. Just let us know. And even at that, she didn't really capture his voice until something happens. He says her name. When he says Mary, she remembers the teacher's voice. Today, I believe this with all of my heart. I believe the Lord is calling your name. I believe he is calling out to you. And he is saying, if you would just listen to my voice. I could change your life. The last is this. Easter calls us to carry the good news of Jesus with us. It's calling you today to hold on to this truth, who Jesus really is, what the Bible really says it does. It also calls us to not only do that, but to listen to his voice today calling out to you. And so let's go back to Al Pacino. Just like him, your name is in the paper of the enemy. He knows your name. And he's been calling your name your whole life. He's been saying to you, you're no good. You're of no worth. You don't hold value. But you know what Jesus says? I know your real name. And I can change your story. If you will look to me, find my truth, and listen to my voice. There was a man like Al Pacino. You see, he was very religious. In fact, probably the religious of the religious. He was zealous for his faith. It led him to do crazy, terrible things to people. And he lived his life like this. People applauded it. He was there to see a man of a different faith stoned to death in front of everybody. He applauded that. And so one day as he was about his business, he was going down a road, much like Al Pacino, and he was encountered by a man. 
His name was Jesus. That day, he couldn't avoid him. He couldn't avoid Jesus anymore. You see, he saw him. And he knew his truth. He says to him, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, who are you? You tell me who you are, and maybe I can figure this out. I'm a smart guy. <laughs> I, I, I can do things, you know, I'm, I'm powerful like that. Uh, he says, you don't get this. I'm going to change your life now. He gave him truth. And at that, Saul heard for the first time a real voice. Scripture tells us that for days he's blinded by that moment. And God commissions a prophet to go to Saul's house, the suffer space. And he tells him, now you're to preach the good news. But that's not all. You need a new name. From now on, your name will be Paul. And this Paul would write, by the inspiration of God, the majority of the New Testament in your Bible. God knows your name. And he's waiting for you. He's calling to you today to look to Jesus, to search for yourself, to listen to truth, to really listen today. And last, maybe perhaps the greatest, for the first time, hear his voice. Will you listen today to Jesus? Will you take Easter for what it really should be? The greatest crescendo in all of human history? With all the weight of sin, Jesus pays it all. And not only does he die for our sin, he lives. It's time to quit searching for empty tombs. And it's time to start looking to Jesus. It's time to quit going back to places of death that we have fallen in love with. And it's time to start going to the name above all names. Today, do you know him? Today, do you know that you have a Jesus who loves you and knows you by name? That he died for your sins on a cross. He carried all of our sins. And scripture says that all have sinned. Me and you, we're in the same exact plight. The Bible says that our sins should lead us to a a thing called death. And that's not just earthly death. That would be easy. We all die. But eternal death, separation from God. But God didn't leave it like that. You see, Jesus shows up to pay the penalty of sin and to give us a way to the Father that we would have life, Scripture says, and have it in abundance. Today, do you know Jesus? Can you say definitively, I know the time that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, my everything, my sin, my brokenness, my all. Do you know when you did it? If today you know, praise God, I'm so thankful, like me when I was seven in Crosbyton, Texas, when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm thankful I know when, and so should you. Today, if you've never done that, what a better time than Easter Sunday, right now, at the church at Quill Creek.